Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hey guys, welcome to episode 10 of Undersampled Radio. We have a really exciting show here today. We have three PhDs, three entrepreneurs, three whacked out geo folks. And uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be awesome. Um, The first thing we have to talk about is we're taking the show live soon. What about that, Matt? (laughs) I like (laughs) <laughs> that sounded like a really big announcement until he said soon. <laughs> uh, at some point in the future, you'll be able to tune in live. So what, what does that mean, Graham? Is that we're going to be on uh, Google Hangouts or what, where are we going to be? Yeah, I haven't totally decided on that yet. But I think we'll, we're going to be on Hangouts Live, which means that anybody who's listening can jump into the conversation and ask questions to the guests, can talk to us, can... Uh, see our smiling faces live on video chat. And then afterwards, there will be a YouTube recording that you can go look up. Now, warning, we have faces made for radio, <laughs> but you guys can, <laughs> you can listen in or video in if you'd like. So more on that later, and we'll have the link over on the software underground. So if you'd like to check it out, go to swung.rocks. Uh, Matt's got some news. What's that about? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess it's, it's news. It's slightly old news because I missed a headline. Um, I suppose I don't. I don't read a lot of, um, or I don't keep up on the the law courts much. <laughs> but somebody forwarded me an email yesterday about a recent ruling uh, that I've just written a long blog post about. So I'm kind of um, completely saturated with all the lingo and stuff at this point. But uh, anyway, so you can read my blog post uh, on on agilegeoscience.com, or I, I actually experimented as well. I think we've talked in the past about LinkedIn and how kind of weird it is, but at the same time, I've noticed that people posting those sort of bloggy posts that you can do on LinkedIn seem to get just tons and tons of comments and views and engagement, and so I've experimented with, with one of those as well. Uh, anyway, about this seismic uh, ruling against Geophysical Services Incorporated, a Calgary company, a spec seismic company that shoots seismic um, and then goes and tries and sells it to multiple clients. And they were suing lots and lots of people, Canadian government bodies and corporations, uh, over them sharing their data in, in a way that GSI perceived as unfair and uh, they were seeking damages for you know lost revenue. And indeed, have had to sell their ships and no longer have loads of people working for them, and essentially seem to just be <laughs> sort of depending on like it's litigation as a business model <laughs> at this point for them. It's a shame, really. Yes. But um, anyway, in a nutshell, the ruling was that they could own the seismic data; it's copyrightable, but that the Canadian regulators could essentially override the copyright um, and release the data to the public in a way that lets the public and anyone else copy that data and sort of do what the heck they want with it. So yeah, potentially really interesting ruling from the point of view of open data. 
and uh, and sharing subsurface data. Yeah. So where do I go get my free seismic data? <laughs> you know, there's so many other uh, what would you call it? Just murky stuff around. Like so, GSI. Great, they give the data to the regulator, but then what does the regulator? Well, a, what kind of data do they give? Uh, quite often, it's quite poor quality. Um, you know, might scan seismic, for example, so it might just be TIFFs. Uh, and then secondly, who knows what the regulator then does with it? Whether they've got reliable navigation data and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, you know, it, it it doesn't change a lot of things really at a at a low level, but it's. There has definitely this ruling and others like it have been hanging over the question of how public seismic data can be in Canada for quite a long time. Question number two: If these guys are getting rid of all of their their entire fleet of, of seismic vessels, are we going to see another boat, uh, an actual Bodie McBoatface? Now that we're now that that's not going to happen for the pre what what's the actual name that they're giving that boat now? Attenborough, I believe. Yes, that's right. Um, I, but I, but I think they are calling the, the surface the vehicles. Yeah. yeah so right. so you do get both in boat face. So there yeah. there can't be another one. Yeah, I guess disappointing. But you know it's not. <laughs> All right, hold well, on. We've got one more bullet point here. Uh, tell us about the hackathon EAG, and then we'll introduce our guest. Okay, so. Pretty sure I've mentioned it before, but um, for anyone who hasn't tuned in, we've, we've organized a few hackathons in the past. Um, the next one is in Vienna on the 28th and 29th of May uh, at the Impact Hub in Vienna. And uh, it's going to be on the theme of games, so subsurface stuff, geoscience, engineering, uh, but on the theme of games. So I've no idea what's going to come out of that. Uh, it looks like there's going to be... Uh, 20 or so of us, uh, as there has been at most of the last hackathons. So yeah, I'm super stoked, looking forward to it. I hope we get some new faces there, and um, I will, of course, let our unsampled radio listeners know how it goes. Thank you. I'm pretty excited. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to conference in with you guys while you're over there because I will not be in beautiful Europe. Right. No, and we should we should record an episode. Um, for like live, for, well, semi-live from the hackathon, or maybe we can even do live. Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, I like it. Okay, um, would you like to introduce our guest today? Uh, certainly would. Yeah. So um, Emily Mercurio, uh, and the first thing I've got here is founder and owner of Civic Mapper, which she will tell us about momentarily. And um, I see she's on Twitter and. Now I see why you wanted me to introduce Emily, because I have to pronounce her Twitter handle. Yep, that's exactly uh, right. Elfjallakoku. Elfjallakoku. Is that an actual Icelandic word? It's not a volcano. It is, and you, you did a really good job at saying it for the first time. So, yeah, that's good. What does it mean? Elfjallakoku oh, uh, means volcano cake. <laughs> Delicious. So, uh, and... Uh, and I, and I see Graham's written that she has a f fantastically detailed LinkedIn, so you can go go check that out. But um, Emily, why don't you uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm Emily Mercurio, and I am a geoscientist. And my background, um, I kind of have a, a variety of things um, in my background. So I went to my undergrad at Pennsylvania State University, and then I did a master's 
at Michigan Technological University and got geology degrees at both places. And then I worked for nine years in remote sensing and GIS, kind of with a geoscience focus. Um, and then I got to a point after nine years where I said, I really want to go back for my PhD. So um, academically, I came from a field geology and volcanology background, and I started a PhD at Pitt um, in volcanology, working in Iceland over, you know, over the summers. And I always say I started my PhD as a volcanologist and kind of came out of it as a sedimentologist because mm-hmm. I was working a lot with volcanic sediments. So that was a, a really interesting time for me. And then when I got out of grad school uh, with the doctorate, I was in the middle of the fracking boom here in Pennsylvania and got really interested in it and just wanted to know more about it. And um, so I took a job here in the oil and gas industry with a focus on the Marcellus in northeastern Pennsylvania. And um, I've been doing that professionally since 2011. And, you know, along the way, I've always wanted to own my own company. And um, my husband is also a geologist and a mapping professional, and we happened to meet another guy named Christian Gass, who is just an incredibly talented earth specialist. And we had the team in place to form a kick-ass company to focus on GIS and geospatial solutions for civic um, organizations and civic-minded organizations and local governments. And we've got a lot of ideas about how to branch out for the future. And um, so that's what we're kind of doing now. And so I'm still working full time, but then I have this other thing I do outside of work, you know, in the evenings and on the weekends. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty busy, but um, there's such great opportunity out there. And I hope in the future we can take Civic Mapper into a, a subsidiary called Civic Geoscience so we can do geoscience for the same type of customer base. Now, we are extremely curious to hear about Civic Mapper and your forward looking strategy. But before we get there, let's back it up for a moment. You okay. say that you are a remote sensing specialist. What, yeah. kind of, what kind of remote sensing are you into? So I started off working with just air photos. And then it kind of got a little bit more involved. So when I was at Michigan Tech, I had a, a research project using TOMS and EVHRR imagery to look at volcanic clouds. So that's dealing with, you know, the infrared and shortwave infrared portion of the spectrum with some ultraviolet there with the TOMS. So I was, I was doing multispectral and then professionally got into air photos and then I kind of went back to multispectral and then into hyperspectral. And then I have a special place in my heart for elevation data. So I've worked with everything from radar, uh, radar derived elevation data to LIDAR. And I definitely like using the LIDAR data because it's such a great data set. You can create, you know, one or two foot contours from that. So wow, very cool. that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. And, and I still, you know, fold a lot, of, a lot of that into my work. I mean, I'm always interested in looking at LIDAR with subsurface features. And um, I think there's a lot of possibilities, you know, for looking at lineaments and other things like that. Huh. So you... Um you are working with GPR data, I believe. Is that is that what it says there on, on LinkedIn? Uh, GPR? No, I don't use too much GPR uh-huh. at my job, but yeah, mainly just um, lidar. Oh, um, okay. So um, you have looked at some seismic data, and oh yeah, you are interpreting seismic data on a regular basis. What do you? Yep. How how do you combine your lidar interpretations and your seismic interpretations? Well, sometimes we see basement faults and we look for 
um, expressions at the surface of those, or sometimes we will find, you know, lineaments and CSDs um, that are visible at the surface, and you can kind of see them in the seismic too. So that's one example. I think that the LIDAR is a, or any elevation data is particularly useful for mapping lineaments. done that extensively in New York. Um, Pennsylvania, we really haven't done that as much, you know, publicly. Um, but, you know, I'm sure the, the different companies that are operating around here are, are doing that, too. And it, it plays a huge role in production of oil and gas in Pennsylvania. So I think it's just an interesting thing to try doing. And, and depending on the scale of your elevation data, you can pick out different types of features. You know, of course, with your LiDAR, that's like the best we're going to get. Yeah. So you can pick out those fine, you know, the more fine lineaments and things like that, whereas your coarser um, digital elevation models, you can pick out the bigger ones sometimes a little bit more easily. Yeah. Just because it covers such a big area, you know, you can get half of a state in one elevation scene if you're at, you know, 30 meter pixel resolution. That is pretty cool. I love it. Um, what are you doing with, let's, let's move now towards Civic Mapper specifically and, and your entrepreneurial experience uh, more generally. What are you doing with mapping? Do you, do, um, what, what's your uh, kickoff project? What's your favorite project? What kind of stuff are you, do you enjoy working on with Civic Mapper? So with Civic Mapper, um, we started the, pro the company last August is when we officially formed it. So we're not even a year into it. But our first client, and I'll, I'll call them our anchor client, is an organization called Three Rivers Wet Weather. And what they had going on, and the reason they asked for our help, is they had a lot of environmental data from wet weather measurements and storm events um, that were just stored in like a tabular data set, like an Excel spreadsheet. And the challenge for them is that they have a lot of partners that they work with that rely on that data for their processes and their mission. So they asked us to come in and sort of um, help them organize their information. And since it's all geospatially based, you know, there's a there's a geospatial um, coordinate in the data sets and for each data point. I mean, we can put that into um, a web map. So that's what we did. So now they're able to not only share the information better with their partners, but they can better visualize it. And that's made a big difference in their operations and satisfying their mission. And we like to tell the organizations we work with to put data as your second bullet to support your first bullet, which is your your mission, you know, because the data is a good way to track your progress and and help you get funding. You know, it's it's important to have those metrics in place. So we're always encouraging them to make data their second bullet. Sure. So value through demonstrability. Uh, that, yeah, that certainly makes sense. Um, what what do you, is is that the the pitch? Is that the elevator pitch? I mean, what's what's um, Civic Mapper's uh, value proposition? If there is only one, and if there is more than one, um, how do you intend to segment those uh, target markets? Well, we we want to help our clients maximize the value of their spatially enabled assets. And you know, back when I started working twenty years ago data was a huge investment. And a lot of times they would invest in all this data and it wouldn't get out to the people it needed or it wouldn't be leveraged in a way that would, you know, kind of maximize their, you know, purpose as an organization. So we want to help those, those types of um, organizations and people do that. And what we've noticed is there's a lot of small municipalities in the United States and cities and 
um, you know, other local governments that don't have the in-house GIS capability, and they don't have a whole lot of funding either to go out and hire, um, you know, a bigger company to do that kind of work for them. Back when I started professionally doing GIS 20 years ago, um, GIS was still kind of a boutique industry. I mean, you had the big software companies like Esri that were doing it, but but for the most part, like a lot of GIS services were in small companies. And that all changed, you know, in the 2000s. Like it all kind of moved into engineering companies. And I feel like it took on a, a little of a different flavor. You know, you, you kind of lost that um, small-time intimate feel um, with your clients because they moved on. And there's nothing wrong with engineering companies. Like we, we hope to be working with engineering companies. But, you know, the rates are generally a little higher than, than what we charge. And so now, you know, in 2015, 2016, we saw the need for this again. You know, we're kind of going back to the past and the way things were done then. And, um, and that was kind of the impetus behind forming Civic Mapper, um, just because we see an opportunity there to really help people. And so that's kind of what we're um, all about right now. And, and we're, we're focusing on open data principles. There's a lot of open data sets out there, and the people that um, want to use those data in local governments or, or municipalities don't necessarily know how or don't have the people to do it, but, you know, that's where we can step in and, and really make a difference for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one, one of the things that we um, sort of espouse, in, especially with government locally here in Nova Scotia, is, you know, the, <laughs> quite often they ha they're having trouble just communicating with other parts of the uh, other parts of the government and all their stakeholders and sort of try to impress on them that opening their data um, it helps them with sort of better data management practices and it's a way you know it's a way for them to actually it's, it's almost like the public accessibility then becomes a side effect of them helping themselves and helping their immediate stakeholders their clients or partners or whoever um, so you know if you can try trying to help them see the um, if they can just get stuff off their shared drive, put it on the web in a shareable way, ideally with an API, um, and maybe a slippy map or some kind of you know web GIS technology, um, that they can kind of kill all these birds with one stone, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that people, you know, when they see things spatially on a map, it it just clicks. You know, there's there's so, another element to people's brains that makes it easier for them to think about these problems and develop solutions when they can just see it on a map and, and look at the relationships of the data with one another. You know, it really helps people. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Data visualization and, and it, stuff. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Uh, sorry, yeah, I was just, so um, I guess when I first looked at Civic Mapper, you've got such a beautiful website, I was, I was thinking it was sort of principally a, uh, the, the, there was a web application or it was a, it was a technological solution, but it sounds like um, you're more like a kind of, uh, Consulting shop that delivers solutions to to your clients. You know, specific. You actually um, maybe building technology, maybe just giving advice, maybe helping behind the scenes. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's how it is for now. Um, we can see, you know, in the future, us develop, you know, doing more development work, and as part of our business plan to to bring on developers as we need them. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we're we're more focused on on the service right now. Um, than we are on, you know, creating an app or, you know, developing code, you know. Um, not that we don't want to do that, but it's just like right now we're kind of letting the company evolve organically to see where we are most needed. And 
Um, just this week, we were talking with a, an organization here in Pittsburgh called 412 Food Rescue. And it was such a great meeting because they're collecting a lot of spatial-based information. Um, mm-hmm. And what they do is rescue food from places like grocery stores or or um, big box stores that would normally go in the dumpster, and they get it to the people that need it in the communities. You know, so they're they're serving these underserved, you know, people call them food deserts, but they're bringing, you know, they're they're kind of equating the food scales of justice is is what we like to say. Yeah. Um, and they've rescued over four hundred thousand pounds of food in one year, which is wow. amazing. Wow. So as they're doing this, they're collecting a lot of spatially based data, like we collected this many pounds of food from this place and it went to this place. So they want to be able to visualize that on a map um, to see if they're serving the communities that need it and, and making sure that those places are, are getting, you know, a good distribution of the food. And we have a unique situation here in Pittsburgh, whereas um, we have a lot of terrain and we found that like, you know, traditionally like food deserts are defined as a circle, you know, a circle, like one mile radius, without any grocery stores. But in Pittsburgh, that can be different because we have such hilly terrain, it might be less than that, or it might not be a circle, it could be a polygon or some other shape. So we started talking about how we can use LIDAR to help define these food deserts based on slope and distance and what people are able to walk and what they aren't and the, the bus routes and uh, transportation corridors to get food to people. So there's a lot of um That's a fascinating project. And, yeah, it's really interesting you thing to be, think about. Like, I never thought of that before. You, you might be able to predict or, or forward model uh, evolution of food deserts based on some of this data that you're that you're gathering or creating. Yeah, exactly. And and how useful this would be to be able to push this back on um, other organizations to say, you know, we need funding because mm-hmm. we found this new thing out, and maybe this model can be used in other communities that have these, you know, challenges. In yeah, any really cool. any of these custom uh, service companies, uh, it, the the biggest asset is the team, and it sounds mm-hmm. like you guys have a rock star team over there. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of the people working for Civic Mapper? Um, Christian Gass, he is our vice president and COO, and he comes from an urban planning background. Um, He went to school at University of Pennsylvania, and he was in Canada for a while um, doing some urban planning projects. So he comes to the company with all of that experience, and that's different from from me. I don't have any urban planning experience at all. So he brings a whole different dimension in, um, and technically he's fantastic. He created our website. He has wonderful taste. Uh, I always say that he's everything I'm not. Like, my husband and I are kind of, you know, crazy and um, a lot of, like, crazy ideas. And and he's, like, really put together. And he's, you know, he's great in front of people. And um, so we're just so happy to have Christian Goss on our team. And then Matt Mercurio, who I'm married to, I've known him for many, many years. Um, And we work really well together. We we used to work together in the past. Um, We went to college together. And Matt comes in with a lot of experience working with local governments. And he's worked with local governments from 14 northeastern United States um, states and municipalities. And he was uh, the GIS manager for Allegheny County for seven years. And that's right here in, in um, Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh is within Allegheny County. So he's really familiar with all the challenges and funding um, limitations that these municipalities and local governments have. So, um, and he's just a GIS rock star. He knows everything um, that there is to know about it. And he's a great um, 
salesman and is great at building partnerships. He knows a lot of people. Well, that helps. And, and yeah. is, is um, Civic Mapper, you said it was a part-time sort of uh, endeavor for you. Uh, is it full-time for, for these, these two guys? Well, it's, it's part-time for probably all of them now because we're just starting up. Um, sure. We haven't pursued anything like venture capital. You know, we kind of want to do this the old-fashioned way and build partnerships and go after funding with yeah. our partners. Um, so, yeah, it, it's part-time for all of us, but um, we've got a lot of proposals in this year, so we are hoping that, you know, that will turn around, at least for Christian and, and Matt. Um, and Matt is also starting another company, not related to Civic Mapper, but he has another company going called Spatial Analytics, and what they do is take imagery from drones and turn it into a mappable product and also like a 3D model. So that's a whole other um, what side of what he's working on. Very cool. Uh, and I'm sorry, I just have one question about the technology because, you, you know, you said you're um, embracing uh, open data principles and so on, which I think is fantastic. And we, we, we totally need, you know, more of that in, uh, in geospatial and, uh, you know, I'd say in subsurface as well. Um, have you been mm -hmm. able to incorporate any... Um, open technology in your kind of technology base? Like what kind of tools are you guys using in Civic Mapper? Yeah, so right now we're kind of um, still using the Esri suite of products, and that's a response to our clients' needs and what they already have in-house. Mm -hmm. But certainly um, we know about open source GIS tools um, and, and want to use them and do use them as much as we can. But at the same time, we have to deliver what our customers need. Um, but but we are a champion of open data and um, you know free GIS software use as much as possible. So and, and Esri's actually been really wonderful. They're, you know they've been very generous with many of our partners and um, helping them. So we mm -hmm. feel like it's a it's a good way to go. But certainly you know open data is our you know focus as much as it can be. So are there GIS specialists at some of your clients' offices? Um, yes and no. I think that there are varying levels of GIS expertise among some of the clients we're working with. Mm -hmm. and, um, but for the most part, I feel like you know, they, don't, they don't have that specialty um, in-house, but they know how to use the, the tools. You know, and, and, and we can show them how to improve use of the tools. So I would say, you know, prob probably, you know, not to the level that um, they would need to have their needs met, which is why they would bring us in. So how much of your consulting time is spent teaching and how much is spent uh, building? So my my time personally is, is all building. And I leave it to these guys to do the teaching. They're great at teaching. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they don't spend too much time doing that, but they do you know, make presentations and make sure the tools work. And our approach to working with all of our partners is that we're agile and iterative, right? So we want to, we will change um, up things is, is just to make it work, right? So we don't, you know, have our plan set in stone. If the customer needs something to be changed or to custom fit or to tailor it to a specific application or use, like that's what we're going to do. And we just keep that iterative approach going. And I think that's what makes us different because, you know, larger co companies might want to stick to doing things a certain way, you know, because they can. But, you know, we'll do we'll do whatever makes sense and whatever works. Sure, that makes a ton of sense. It, it's always got to be a custom solution, especially when you're working with some of these um, uh, technical specialties like GIS or subsurface or something like that. Um, 
I, it, it's fascinating work, and we're really excited to see some of your projects develop. I see on the Civic Mapper website that um, there is, there are two links to GitHub pages, which I just briefly perused, and there's yeah. some projects there. Are we going to see Civic Mapper uh, deliverables, or at least workflows, or something on on the uh, GitHub pages? I would have to ask Christian uh, Goss about that, my partner. He's really been the one who's uh, coordinating and doing a lot of that stuff. But I would think so. I mean, we want our approach and our work to be visible and um, trackable. So, yeah, I don't see why not. Excellent. Well, we look forward to, to seeing it and uh, seeing how you guys do. Um, I just wanted to have a, sort of a general question for you uh, before we go, which is... Um, how hard is it to have a job and run a company, uh, which is also related to the question, uh, is it worth it? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great question. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, so um, I have a full-time job um, starting this company, getting the company as a certified woman-owned business. So that's a whole other thing. Uh, I have two kids in a house, so it's really, really busy. And I asked myself, like, how how do I do this? You know, I, I don't I don't really know. I think one answer is I, I have a lot of energy. Um, <laughs> and the second answer is I love what I do. I love doing geology. I love maps. And when you love something, it's not a burden. So I just think it's fun. Um, my job here, you know, doing geology for oil and gas in Pennsylvania, I've learned so much. And it's so applicable to so many things. I served on a board for a food co-op for two years, and that was another just great experience that kind of got me really thinking about business and how business is done and how business can change the world. So um, it just got me really excited. So I, my challenge is to um, st stay focused, right? It's really easy for me to get distracted by shiny things. And um, so I'm working on that, just like staying focused and staying the course. Um, but, yeah, it's just – for me, I have a lot of energy. I don't drink caffeine. Um, try what? to live a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, no caffeine. Um, I just do the best I can, and I have a wonderful set of partners and friends and family that really make it possible, to be honest. So in summary, you just have to be a superhero. <laughs> you have to be a superhero. No, um, it's, it is really stressful, though. i got to tell you, we're starting two businesses, you know, between my husband and I, and it's it's rough. You know, it's... There's like the, the entrepreneurial day is a lot of highs and lows. And some days you think this is not worth it. This is too much stress. And then other days you, you have a, a victory and you're like, yes, this is meant to be. So, you know, time will tell. We'll see how long we, you know, we can, we can do it for. But, um, but yeah, I love doing business and businesses that can make a difference is um, awesome. It's an awesome thing. Excellent. Well, I, I wouldn't mind um, just asking a bit more about the entrepreneurship thing because my, you know, um, when I look at the job scene, especially for young people in geoscience in general and petroleum in particular, mm -hmm. I sort of feel like, you know, we, the industry, uh, well, I don't know where this comes from, but there's a really strong kind of, hey, you need to get a corporate job and you show up to your interview in your suit and you write a bunch of letters and you have a CV like everyone else's CV. And, and we don't talk about entrepreneurship as an option. Um, or, or very little, in my experience, certainly not a university. Uh, and you know, you go to trade shows and stuff, and, and it's all HR and application forms and booths and 
with interviews and so on. And I wonder, I wonder what you think of that. Um, I wonder if you think it's a real option for young people, or maybe it's only an option for a very small group of highly driven um, people. And and mm -hmm. sort of related to that, is this sort of current downturn? Do you think good or bad for for <laughs> you know for for entrepreneurship in um, in petroleum and or geoscience and geospatial? I love this question, and I'm so glad you asked it. Um, so. To start off, I think that um, you know, if I was a if I was a new college graduate, I mean, I would definitely be a little concerned if I was a geology major, you know, because of this um, undulating business that we're in. It's it's hot and it's cold, and that's just the nature of it. And um, but as far as entrepreneurialism goes, it, you know. I recently read this book called Choose Yourself by James Altucher. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name properly. And it literally changed my life. It was um, a book about entrepreneurialism and about the new economy that's that's coming. And I believe that our kids and our grandkids are not going to be in these full-time jobs. You know, I think that the temp job economy is growing. I think that people are going to have to get creative about how they make a living. And, um, you know, there's always going to be industry. I, I feel like there's always going to be industry. There's always going to be those corporate jobs, and we need them, um, especially, you know, globally. They're, they're, they're there, and, and they're going to be there in developing countries. But I feel like, you know, maybe uh, in North America, things are, things are changing. They're changing politically. They're changing uh, regulatory-wise. And I think we have to have a creative vision for the future to figure out how we're going to live. And that's one reason why I started this company is because I kind of see this coming and I want to get used to this idea, um, learn how to do business, you know, learn how do you set up a business? Like I had no idea until I actually did it um, in 2015. So, you know, that, that's what I would recommend to someone is to just think about it, like learn about it because things are changing and those, you know, the safety of the corporate job just isn't there anymore. And, um, and the, the downturn is disappointing. It's just, you know, I, I'm lucky I still have a job doing this in Pennsylvania. A lot of people have lost it here in the state and nationwide. Um, so, you know, but we are geologists and we have awesome skills and we have, um, you know, uh, we've learned amazing things in school and we understand nature. And I think you can take that in so many different directions, you know. Um, and another thing that's happening, too, is we have an alternative energy economy that's going to be getting stronger and stronger. So, and that's another thing to look into. I mean, one of my big interests is in geothermal, and it's one of the reasons why I learned about oil and gas, because those kinds of skills um, and things that you learn in oil and gas are transferable to geothermal. You know, it's the same types of principles. You're just going after a different energy source. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um you know, there's there's lots of things we can think about in geophysics, and it's it's you know very been very heavy in oil and gas and the development of that science, but um, but it has so many different types of applications too. So I, I think that we just have to be creative in um, in our in our lives and in our long term visions. Well, thanks, uh, Dr. Emily Mercurio, uh, optimist, superhero, and uh, mapping <laughs> enthusiast. Uh, Thanks, Emily, for coming on the show. We really enjoyed having you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure.